Good morning. If you're wondering why I'm up here early, uh, it's because in the first service I had to go from one to the other, and so we just are doing that again. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go all the way till, what, noon. Although now I have that freedom, I don't have to rush to go anywhere. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, So I had a friend who recently went on a cruise. And while he was on a cruise, they were going on some islands he didn't recognize, and, and he saw this guy with a long beard and kind of ratty clothes and, and running around, waving his arms, jumping up and down. And so he runs to the captain, and he's like, hey, who is this guy? Like, what's happening? And the captain's like, I have no idea, but he gets so excited every year when we pass him, we keep doing it. There you go. So we are continuing the Amazing Acts series. And I love this series so much, not just because it's about the book of Acts, which is just amazing and powerful, but because it is about the acts of the disciples, the acts of the new church, the acts of the Christians as they continue Jesus' ministry into the world. And that's amazing because that's what we get to do. We get to pick up the book of Acts and we get to live this out. We get to have uh, the acts of the church because we are the church. We get to have the acts of the disciples because we are the disciples. We get to do this in a world that needs to see it. It's easy to look at Acts, and we've talked about a lot of big names like Paul and Peter and James and John. And it's easy to look at them as biblical heroes and kind of separate them from ourselves. But here's the thing. The reason they're thought of as biblical heroes is not because they were special, but because they gave everything they had to Jesus. And they followed him in every way. They were just people. And so we can be like that. We can take this to the world. We can show people Jesus in this way. And so I want to go back to the New Testament reading of Acts 15, 35 through 41. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, um, strengthening the churches there. So Paul and Barnabas had done a lot together. They had started churches, they had built up communities, they had shown Jesus in amazing ways on mission trips, in ministry, in a lot of different ways. And for Paul, it's really cool to continue to see his growth from the Pharisee that he was, from from the angry person that he was, to now, not only was he about starting churches and taking the, the word of the Lord to the world, but he was also about continuing to build up churches, and in fact, the, the, a lot of the motivation for the second missionary journey of Paul was to go back to churches that he'd been and encourage them and help them to know, hey, you're not alone. We're building up a community and Jesus is in all of this and God is with you. And so it's such a, a, a pastor's heart type of thing. He wanted to encourage Christians. And so John Mark, he's mentioned here, uh, he had left them earlier, as it says, and there, was, there were rumblings that he had actually betrayed them that he had tattled on them, that he'd spilled some tea for you young folks. Uh, and so he, he, it's undetermined exactly how far he went and what he'd done. 
Paul and Barnabas had different ideas of it and they had different thoughts about it. And it's not that they disliked him, but Paul thought he hasn't paid the price yet. We don't know if we can trust him. He did this before. What if he does it again? Barnabas, on the other hand, is like, let's just take him. And so for Paul, he's looking at it uh, as a coach, a football coach who's like, yeah, he's been a problem. We want the team to be ready to go. Whereas Barnabas is like one of the coaches who, conti- who gets one of those players who's suspended every single year. And he's like, I can change it. And so they both look at it differently. Now, here's what's important there. Luke, who wrote Acts, did not say which one's right. He didn't say exactly what their arguments were. He didn't say anything about it because the odds are both were a little right and both were a little wrong. Luke just said they disagreed. Now, this could have been a devastating moment in the church. This is the early days. Paul was up there. Barnabas was up there. It could have been huge negatively for the church in these days if they had disagreed and just taken their balls and gone home. Instead, they disagreed. They got a little personal. They separated, but they both said, listen, we serve Jesus. This isn't about what I think, not about what you think. We're not going to agree on this, but I'm going to go over here. You're going to go over there. We're going to take the word of God to the world. And so that's what they did. And so God took something that could have been a huge loss and turned it into an amazing gain because that's what God does. We're never going to be fully sure about what happened. We know that later, if you read through all the letters of Paul, and and I encourage you to do that uh, between the time I finish my sermon and the end of service, and we'll talk about it. I'll come back up and we'll have a discussion. But if you read through the letters, he mentions Barnabas and John Mark again, and and it shows that he still respects them. It doesn't say whether they're friends again. It doesn't say if they hang out. It doesn't say if they go watch the Super Bowl. It just says that he he talks about their ministry. And so we're we're never going to know everything. But here's what we do know. Christianity's hard. It's hard to be a Christian sometimes, especially in the world where it's not the normal thing. It's hard to to be like Jesus in a world that's constantly saying, no, you need to worry about yourself. You need to have more power and more popularity and more followers. You need to, to do this. It's hard because we disagree and we argue and we debate. There are three words that come up when you study theology. And that's dogma, doctrine, and personal conviction. Dogma is... The core. That is the the core belief of every Christian church in the world. They should have that dogma. That's Jesus died for our sins. He is our salvation. God created the world. The dogma. Doctrine is different from church to church, from denomination to denomination. It's biblically based, but it's on interpretation and things like that. Personal conviction, though, because Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus, Personal conviction is where you are convicted of something personally. So, for example, let's say that you only listen to Christian music. You're convicted of that. You're like, I can't listen to anything else. That's okay. That's you being convicted of that. It doesn't mean everybody else. The problem and the difficulty is because we are all human, we get those three things mixed up a lot. And we put them in the same barrel and we argue with the same intensity and we get upset over the same things. And so we sometimes don't even agree on what falls in which category. In my home church a long time ago, 
there were people that left over the color of the carpet. And what's, you scoff at that, but for them, it was vital, and I have no idea why. But for them, they had built that up into this important issue, and so they left when the carpet changed. What's most amazing about that is it went from blue, which is Kentucky and iffy, to red, which is a much holier color like IU. Much holier. The blood of Christ is red. Um, but it's, for them, that was the thing. That was what mattered. That was what they took. And, you know, obviously we know what we think of that. But it's easy to get into those kind of disagreements. It's easy to, to argue, to debate, to, to have all of these things. And, and here's the thing. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to have disagreements. It's okay to argue. It's okay to debate. But it's how you do it and, and who you are and, and what your purpose is, what your motivation is. Paul and Barnabas disagreed and they knew they weren't going to agree. But they continued serving Jesus. Paul didn't say, Barnabas, no, you stop. You do my way or hit the highway. He said, okay, let's go. And so they went and they served and God used that division and reached so many people. Doesn't mean that it was all good because there were hurt feelings. It doesn't mean that disagreements are fun because they're not. But they're not the end. Because we keep going because we serve him. I have a quote, which is possibly behind me, although Jason could put up pictures of me as a baby. I don't know. Nobody laughed or said, ah, so I'm assuming it's not. Uh, there is giant untapped potential in disagreement, especially if the disagreement is between two or more thoughtful people. Here's the thing. If there's anyone in this world that you agree with 100% of the time and it's not Jesus, that's a problem. I saw some husbands look over at wives and be like, can I agree with this? It's okay. There's nobody in this world that we're going to agree with 100% of the time. Think about the people that you respect, that have meant the most to you. There's going to be something you disagree with, even if it's something small like cereal preference. Obviously, we know Captain Crunch is the best. But there are people who like like shredded wheat and stuff like that. But you're not going to agree with anybody all of the time. And if you do, that's a problem. Only Jesus. Jesus is who we agree with. Jesus is who we serve. His word is what we do. And if you look through history, great things start from disagreements. The beginning of this country, the founding fathers, the... the original patriots of America, they didn't agree all the time. Some of them thought we should stay with England. But in their disagreements, they found compromise, they found hope, they moved forward. They weren't perfect by any means. The early church, the disciples disagreed. Some of them thought Judas' spot shouldn't be filled, some of them thought it should, etc. But they disagreed, and they disagreed on other issues, but they kept going forward because disagreements happen because we're human. But if everyone involved, if the people involved are thoughtful and thinking for themselves and truly trying to be like Jesus, then it's okay. Because it's like, man, we're not going to reach an accord on this, but we both love Jesus. That's what's important. Let's go forward together doing this, serving, just like Paul and Barnabas did. Good can come from that. But we have to want good to come from that. The problem comes when there are other motivations. 
when we let our human worldview get in. And so I have another scripture. This is from Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 50. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. So, as I said, we look at the disciples as biblical heroes, but they're just people. And they got involved in disagreements and petty squabbles like this, like we do sometimes. And at the time, Peter, James, and John were considered to be the the de facto leaders of the disciples after Jesus. And so those three and the rest of them were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, I want the corner office next to Jesus when we get to heaven. Like, I want to have that extra lunchtime in that cool company car. And so I want to move up. I want to be promoted. I, I, I want to be thought of as the best disciple. Disciple idol, or whatever you would call it. Like American Idol, see what I did there? Okay, it's fine. It's fine. I've done this three times, you don't have to laugh every time. But they thought in terms of human advancement and human promotions. They thought in terms of raises and personal things and things that that exist only in this life. And this story, and a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible or thinking about life and, and my own and all of ours, It's amazing. If you want to see the greatest proof of Jesus' all-consuming love, it's that he's never given up on us. Because the disciples, they were his followers. They were with him every single day, hearing him talk. And he'd already covered this. Hearing him teach others. Hearing him pray for them. Seeing his love. Seeing it firsthand. And they still didn't get it all the time. Think about all the times that we've messed up. I promise you we have. And yet Jesus continues to love us, continues to give us chances, continues to have the same love for us that he always did. And it's so powerful, so amazing. And he could have stopped all of this arguing by just saying, hey, who's the greatest? And pointed at himself. Because he's the only perfect person, the only person who didn't sin, who didn't hurt anyone, who never did anything wrong. And yet he didn't do that. Because he was humble. Instead, he talks about a child. And he says, look at this child. Look how he lives. Look how he treats other people. Look at his faith. This is what you should do. It's not about the greatest. It's about being like a child. So I have a niece. And her name is Beatrice. You probably don't know that. I keep it close to the vest. She's four, so she's a child. Which means... I am licensed to talk about her in this condition. It's not just me pulling it out of thin air. But I take, I go to see her every week. And we go to the mall to play, or or we also get a cookie, but don't tell Amber. Uh, We go to the mall to play, or we go to the children's museum, or something, the park. And I watch as she just goes out and plays with whatever kid is there. She doesn't care what they're wearing. She doesn't care what they look like. She doesn't care where they came from. She doesn't think she's better than them. She doesn't think they're better than her. She just plays with them. She just sees them 
like she sees herself. Sometimes we lose that along the way. And we only see the differences we have with others. And we only see the negative. And we only compare. You see, the nature of Jesus was like the nature of that child. That's not an accident. Jesus was humble and open, and he talked to everyone. He talked to Nicodemus in the same way that he talked to Zacchaeus, in the same way that he talked to the disciples. When he met with Pilate after being beaten almost to death, he had a conversation with him. He was always the same. Always truthful, always loving, always kind, always hopeful. He always had that nature of a child. Now in our world, we see that as a negative. Uh, I teach on Tuesdays in Stepping Forward. I do like a five-minute message. And you're thinking, why can't he do that on Sundays? It is what it is. I just did a series called Childish. And it was about this, about being like a child, about how Jesus called us to be like children. And how the world sees that as a negative. It's like, oh, you got to be an adult. you got to do this. you got to do that. you got to enjoy taxes and Home Depot or whatever adults like. And one of the stories I used was from the feeding of the 5,000, which was more like the feeding of 10,000 or more because it only counted the men at the time. And in that story, what do we see besides Jesus' miracle? We see the disciples, who are grown men, say... It's impossible. There's no way to do this. Like, we can't feed them. It just can't happen. And this kid comes along. And all he knows is what he knows. And he says, here's my food. He just gives everything he has to Jesus. That's all he does. He doesn't think about what's going to happen with it. He doesn't know if it's possible or not. He just knows if I give everything to Jesus, that's all I can do. That's what we have to do. That's what it means to be like a child. That's what Jesus is saying. And my favorite part of this scripture is that the disciples were sitting there like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh yeah, good point, Jesus. Hey, that guy over there isn't doing something like us. How much do we do that? We, We get it and we talk about it and we pray about it and then immediately we just shift gears because we're people. And so Jesus had to be like, guys. And yet he answered them lovingly. And he's not saying that everybody's right. And he's not saying that that all truth is the same. What he's saying is, if somebody is doing good and somebody is proclaiming my name, that's what matters. We get so caught up in the comparison, but I'm going to tell you something. Comparison is never good. And we live in a world where it's so easy to do and it's so easy to compartmentalize. You can get on Twitter or Facebook, or Instagram, or this looks like a TikTok crab. (laughs) I know Randy's got 100,000 followers, and he does cool dances. But you can follow only the people that do exactly what you do, and think exactly like you think. And then you can go home, and you can watch the news that agrees with you completely. And you can build a bubble around yourself. But what happens in that bubble is that becomes your entire world and you forget that something exists outside it. And so that leads to big disagreements and big anger and big hatred. Child wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't do that. 
to compare either way. If you look at somebody and think, man, I'm just never going to reach their levels of faith. It's not what it's about. That's going to mess up your journey and it's putting them on a pedestal. On the flip side, if you look at somebody and think, ah, I got it together better than them at least, then you're judging them and you're not doing the work. We are called to be like Jesus. It's not an accident that he lived the way that he lived. That he treated others the way that he treated them. It's not just about his words, although that is our scripture. That's vital. That's how we live. It's about the way that he lived. The way that he treated others. The way that he he talked. The way that he had disagreements and handled them. I have a quote. This is from Steve Jobs. I'm an Android guy, but he did some good stuff. Our time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. You've probably seen this illustration before, but if I were to turn this podium into a timeline of eternity, now it's impossible to do that with infinity, but you know, a timeline of eternity, and I were to take the oldest of you, and looking out at the crowd, I'm guessing like 35 years old is the oldest. I just made some fans, that's good. But no, if I took the oldest of you, not just the oldest of you, the oldest that we've seen, like 120, or the oldest biblically, like 970, and I put it on this timeline of eternity, you wouldn't even see it. It's barely a percentage. What that means is, our time here, as long as it may feel, is nothing compared to eternity. And so what are we going to do with it? Are we going to spend that time comparing Hating other people, holding grudges, being angry. Jesus' ministry was three years. It's very limited. And yet in that three years, look at what he did. Because he didn't waste time. He took the time and said, I'm going to love, I'm going to hope, I'm going to teach, I'm going to show God to everybody. It does not mean don't care. It doesn't mean don't pay attention. It doesn't mean don't help, don't debate. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is everything we do, we do humbly with an eye towards eternity. Everything we do, we do like Jesus, for Jesus, because of Jesus. I have a friend who goes to a lot of movies, and every movie he goes to, he looks for ways to criticize it. He wants to find things that are wrong with it because they're not perfect. Here's the thing. Every person you meet, if you want to find things to criticize, you're gonna, because none of us are perfect. How we look, what we look for in others, that's what we're going to find. If you want to look for the negative, you're going to find the negative. If you want to look for things to disagree about, you're going to find things to disagree about. If you want to look for reasons to be angry, you're going to find reasons to be angry. But if you look for ways to show Jesus, you look for ways to love, you look for ways to hope, you look for ways to be a peacemaker. Still. Doing all of this and being humble, it's so contrary to the world, it seems crazy. And so I have one more scripture. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 17. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life 
will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Maybe it is crazy to live that way. The world will certainly see us that way. Everybody thought Jesus was crazy. They thought his disciples were crazy. Didn't stop them. Didn't change them. Because we are here not to be motivated by advancement or by popularity. Not to be motivated by political parties or whatever that goes with. But to be motivated, to be driven by the love of Christ, by the example of Christ. We were created to live for Him. Created to live with Him. Not for ourselves. To know that our time here is fleeting. That everything we do should point to Him. Doesn't mean don't have personal stuff. Doesn't mean don't have friends. It doesn't mean don't have jobs. It doesn't mean any of that. It means everything we do, we do as an example of Him. Of His love. Of His glory. It's the human view, the human worldview that says we have to win. I have to be right. Believe me, I'm competitive. I can tell you every single time I've ever lost anything, even video games. And I, can, I sit there sometimes and think about if I'd done this differently, man, I could have won that. I think about the pinnacle of my basketball career in sixth grade, which was also the pinnacle of my height. <laughs> and how, man, if I had just done this, I could have done this, etc. And I think about that stuff. But when it comes to faith, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to people, it is not about winning. It's not about being the one that they look at and say, oh wow, this is who convinced me. It's about being like Jesus. It's about having a heavenly view, not a human view. When we have that view of I've got to win, I've got to be the one, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, that comes from the perspective of this world is all we have. But we know that's not true. We know there's so much more. More than we can even imagine. Paul talks about viewing Jesus in a human way, how we start by thinking of him in that way. Here's the thing about Paul. He was a Pharisee before he was a follower of Jesus. And because of his age, we can reasonably guess that as a Pharisee, he was probably in one of the crowds that followed Jesus and mocked him. In fact, he may have been one of the people that tried to trap him in a question. Because he saw him from a human point of view. He saw him from, well, I don't agree with him, so I need to stop him. But then he changed. Because Jesus reached him. And Paul decided and he changed and he moved forward. And he didn't become perfect, but he became Christ-like. And he continued growing, continued moving forward, continued doing everything he could. To the point that even when he had a disagreement that in his Pharisee days would have ended everything for Barnabas. It became, okay, let's go our own way now. But let's do it with Jesus. We want others to see it that way. To see Jesus in the way that we see him. We have to show them reasons to do that. It's not just about our words. If I were to ask you, 
to picture the people in the history of your life that have meant the most to your faith. That have helped you, that have loved you, that have done something to help you be who you are today as a Christian. I'm sure everyone here could picture a lot of people. But if I were then to say, tell me everything they ever said about Jesus or everything they ever said that mattered to you, you're not going to be able to do that. But if I said, why do they matter? You would talk about the way they made you feel. The way that they saw you. The respect that you have for them. The way they served Jesus. The way that they illuminated Jesus to the world. That's what we do. Sure, our words matter. But people are touched by the way we live, by who we are, by what we do. And what we do will never get us into heaven. But it may help others to see the way to get there. We have to stop thinking from a human point of view about who's the greatest, who's the best, who's right, who wins. Has to be about eternity, about hope, about living here, but living for there. And I have one more quote, and this is from C.S. Lewis. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. That means the Christians who did the most in this life were the ones who We're looking at heaven the whole time. Who are realizing that everything we do here is to set up for there. Everything we do here is to help others to see that. And again, this does not mean to ignore what's going on around you. It doesn't mean to to, to not talk, to not listen, to not do whatever. But it means to remember our priorities, to remember our calling, to remember our hope. To build what we have. To grow, to learn, to help others, to show Jesus to a world that desperately needs to see him. To not compare. To not fight. To not hate. But to love, even in our disagreements, even in our arguments, but to love, to show him. Because listen, disagreements happen. Some of you will probably get into little disagreements on the way home from church today. You'll be like, I want to go to McDonald's. Well, I want to go to Arby's. Some of you are living in a fantasy world and want to go to Chick-fil-A, but they're closed, sorry. I hear that there are people who are on the right side of history, like IU fans, or I'll give you Ohio State fans, and they even talk to people who are Purdue or Michigan. And then Wisconsin is just good. Every disagreement is a chance to learn. It's a chance to grow. It's a chance to come together. And they're going to happen, but so does learning and growing. Our vision statement, our mission statement, however you want to say it for the church, doesn't stop at to know Jesus, although that's vital and that's what we have to do. That's why we're here. But it goes on to make Jesus known. And we do that, whether we want to or not, in the way that we treat others, in the way that we live, in the way that we handle things, in who we are. We can do this 
Because everybody we think of is a hero in the faith. Aside from Jesus, they were not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. But when we mess up, we can apologize. And we can learn. And we can grow. And we can move forward. And we can show other people that that's okay. We serve Jesus. And we live by His grace. That's all I got.